Take your copy of God's Word tonight and go with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And go to Matthew and turn right and go two blocks and you'll find it. Thank you all so much for having me back. I am uh, always have a good time here at Dorisville and uh, appreciate any opportunity I have uh, to come to come back. <clears throat> I have been asked to come back into Harrisburg uh, later this spring, not to Dorisville, but um, we're praying through that and and seeing if maybe maybe that'd be all right. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not good at the word no. And so um, I'm learning to, um, I'm not good at this yet. I'm learning to turn my calendar over to my wife. And, and that's tough for me uh, because I like to say, absolutely, I can make it. And then I talk to her and she's like, you realize that weekend we have, sorry, so, uh, so uh, you pray for us. I, I, was, I was doing really good, and then I'm in a season right now that I think uh, five out of six weeks I'm, I'm out of our home church and, and speaking somewhere else. And, and so uh, you pray for us because I'm supposed to be back at our home church. I was telling Pastor David, I, I sit in and I play the piano with, with our band uh, at church, and uh, I got the reminder, I don't know if you do these text reminders, but I got the text reminder, hey, we have rehearsal Wednesday night. And I thought, oh, no, I forgot to tell the worship pastor. I ain't coming Sunday, so not sure how you want to handle that. Uh, so I thought about texting back and go, hey, sorry, dude, won't be there. And then I thought, I better pick up the phone and call him and, you know, grovel, at least, if not face-to-face, at least over the phone. So, um so you just pray, when you think about us, pray that um, I will do better at handing off my schedule. Many of you, uh, I didn't introduce Michelle. I feel like I, you all know her because uh, I've talked about her. Um, someone, who was it, said, uh, you, wait, not really sure you existed because uh, I keep saying I'm married <laughs> and I keep saying I have four kids, uh, yet you've never seen them. Um, but I will say that when they do come down here, our, our four kids, guess where they want to go? Grandma and Grandpa's, yeah, not with Dad, no. So, anyhow, maybe one of these days we can bring a couple of the kids. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, anyhow, this is Michelle. She and I uh, were married in '99, uh, last century. We were married, um, and God has blessed us with four kids. Um, the oldest of which is now a freshman, plays football. Uh, for the for Rochester, uh, which by the way uh, just won their sixth state title in the last seven years, so dad, he said, "Dad, we're not moving, right? Ever?" I said, "Well, not until you get out of high school. We'll hang around for a while." So, um, so he's our oldest. Elijah's a freshman now. Allison is a seventh grader now, and uh, and then Maya, our princess, is in third grade, and then our youngest is uh, finally in kindergarten. So we feel like that's a small victory, um, you know, just getting all four of them in, into school. So uh, one of these days, maybe, um, we'll try to bring a kid or two and, and uh, 
prove that we actually have children. So, I want to talk to you. Anybody have a pet peeve? Anybody? Anybody have a pet peeve and you'd be willing to share it? It's asking. Who's got it? Who has a pet peeve? Yeah, what's your pet peeve? That's, I understand that. You realize that's probably somebody you live with, right? Somebody else, yeah. Anybody else have a pet peeve? And you're willing to share it? Oh, I, listen, I hear you. Amen from me. We were at, where were we? We're at Walmart? Where else do we go? Walmart, Kroger, Aldi, because she knows something's steeper there. Anyhow... Kroger's good. So we were at Walmart the other day. It's not really, it's not in my notes, but I'm going to share it with you anyhow. We were at Walmart the other day, and I parked, because I'm lazy, right next to the place that has the carts, you know, so that when we're done, on the other side of, of our van, less than 10 feet from my van, there's a cart. And I'm like, who's that lazy guy? I mean, it was 15 steps. Put the cart up. I hear you. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other pet peeves? Now that we're blood pressure's going up, anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. Wherever missing is, yeah, is that like missing Illinois, missing Missouri? Yeah. Missing. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, they're just, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, the grammatical thing bothers me too. My wife hates this because I'm, with our children, I'm like, you can't use a double negative in a sentence. Or you cannot end a sentence with a preposition. Drives me nuts. I have a few pet peeves, by the way. I don't know if that's obvious. Yeah, you got one? What is it? Fault finding. Kind of like what we're doing right now with everybody else. Yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Late, yeah, some people late, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had a, some friends down in Golconda when I was growing up that we were doing a surprise party for somebody else, and we told this certain couple that the party actually started 30 minutes before it did because we knew that they'd be late for the surprise party. Yeah, let, let me share, you, share with you a pet peeve that I have. <clears throat> and I, I've tried to instruct my children with the smallest things, and I'm working on this myself um, personally. Um, say thanks. It's not hard. Here's my pet peeve, one of several, evidently, because I didn't know I had a few until y'all started talking. <sighs> Anyhow, um, have you ever opened the door for somebody? And sometimes they're on the phone. <laughs> I just keep talking to whoever they're on the phone with. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> and my wife's like, stop. <laughs> stop. <laughs> but... It's just 
say thanks. You know, it doesn't have to be like they, just somebody holds the door. What do you say? Thank you. Okay, that's another one maybe. Yeah, yeah. Anybody, anybody ever struggle just saying thanks? It's, I don't know, but it's not usually, I'm trying to get better at when sitting down and writing a thank you note. Handwritten. Because we're inundated with email, so I'm trying to get better at sitting down, taking a pen, and saying thank you. Um, I, I, I think a grateful heart is evidence that you recognize the deeds of someone else. And when I catch myself not being grateful, I wonder if maybe I'm not recognizing what someone else has done on my behalf. One of the ways I'm trying to practice this, and I, listen, I, I fail miserably, but I, I try to say thanks. Michelle's a stay-at-home mom, has been for the last 10 years, I guess. And um, I try when I come home at night to say thank you for whatever I recognize, like thanks for fixing dinner tonight, because if you hadn't have, I'd have had to wait an hour when I got here. And so uh, I, I'm grateful for that. I, I try to say thank you, thanks for fixing dinner tonight. Uh, to which sometimes, um, and you don't know our relationship that well, but we, we have tendency to be sort of sarcastic with one another. And, you know, so when I say thanks for the frozen pizza, um, she will respond with something, you know, kind of like this and a little bit of a gig. But, but I'm trying to learn to say thanks even when it's frozen pizza. I'm so grateful that somebody took the time to do that. Yeah. Yes? <laughs> Oh, yeah. 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 Did y'all hear? Can y'all hear back there? She said when someone's trying to do their best and someone near the situation is still finding fault. I probably do that with my son. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 17. It's a great passage here. You know, there's always something you and I can be thankful for. Like, for instance, you know, if it's, say, November, you can be thankful that you're not a turkey owned by Butterball. You could be thankful you're not a deer in the state of Illinois at dusk running across a highway. There's always something we can be thankful for. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? 
Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? What does that tell you about the other nine? In that group, there might have been who? What would you say, church members? Yeah. 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 Baptist. Um, no, they were probably Jewish. At least ethnically, they were Jewish. Uh, verse 19. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Let's pray. God, give us a heart of thanks. Make us, God, to be cognizant of all that you've done. But God, I pray that you will help us open our eyes to see those around us that serve us, sometimes in big ways, many times in small ways. Help us, God, not just to have a grateful heart, but to communicate our thanks to those around us. Help us, God, to be better at being grateful. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you three thoughts tonight. I'll give you the first one now. I think, as it relates to spiritual things, number one, the recognition of who Jesus is is the beginning of change. The recognition of who Jesus is is the beginning of change. Look there in verse 11 down through verse 13. It happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So Jesus is heading to a destination and he's traveling, the Bible says, through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Many Jews of Jesus' day would miss Samaria altogether. They would actually if they were heading south to Jerusalem, what they would do is when they were in Galilee, and this will be a little bit backwards uh, for you since I'm facing the other direction, but as they were heading south through Samaria, what they would do is they would cross over to the east and they would travel down the east side of what is the Jordan River and then they would cross back west across so that they skipped Samaria altogether. Now this is a long-standing uh, issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. And it goes all the way back to when the Jews were conquered and they were carried off in different waves into uh, the exile. And so what happened was uh, in the exile, when, when, when the Jews were carried off, some of them that were carried off are men like Daniel. Maybe you know that term. Shadrach, Meshach, and as Billy, or as um, Brady Weldon says, and a billy goat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abilego were carried off. And so what would, what would happen in those days is when an army would come in and conquer, they would take out the brightest, the best looking, the best um, physiques. They would, they would take out the, the ruling, the wealthy class, and they would carry them off. And kind of the folks who are left behind are kind of what they didn't desire to take back to their kingdom. So as you go down through the ages, the Jews and some of these who are left over in what is now what we would call Samaria, they intermarried and they produced offspring. So what you have is uh, what the Jews saw as, uh, and pardon the phrase, but it's the way they looked at these, they, they saw this group as half-breeds. They, they saw them as, at best, second-class citizens, if not third- or fourth-class citizens. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. 
Now that's very important in this story as it is in other stories in the New Testament. Maybe you've heard the story of the good Samaritan. When the priest walks by, should have gotten involved and chose not to because he didn't want to be uh, ritualistically unclean. So in this story, the Bible says Jesus travels through the midst of Galilee, that's to the north, and then Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus does this at other times too. Remember, he met the woman at the well, and the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria, that he chose to, that he purposed to go through Samaria. Now, this is incredibly important because it shows you that Jesus doesn't see ethnically uh, a boundary there when it comes to somebody who needs his love and his attention. So Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he entered a certain village, verse 12, and there uh, met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, which, by the way, according to uh, Old Testament uh, prescription, they were supposed to do that, actually cover their mustache and yell, unclean, unclean, to let people know that they were actually lepers. The Bible says in verse 13, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, my question is, did they know who they were talking to? Now, we're in Samaria. The Bible says we're in, we're, he passed through here, and when he entered a certain village, there are these men who cried out to him. So uh, if we're in Samaria, how did they know about Jesus? Had they heard stories about Jesus? I mean, there's just a multitude of questions that kind of rushes in at this point. Had they heard about Jesus' miracles? Certainly they knew his name. There might have been a, uh, at least his disciples that maybe they went ahead. I, I, there's a crowd. I don't know. But these men had an understanding of who this man was. And this man is in fact Jesus. And so they cry out to him and they call him master. And they say, have mercy on us. Now what they mean is, get us out of the situation that we're in. That's the way that they wanted his mercy. Now, they didn't understand that he could also forgive their sins, but they asked him to have mercy on them, and that simply meant, please heal us of our disease. So then the Bible tells us that Jesus tells them what to do. Verse 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that... As they went, they were cleansed. So point number two tonight, uh, point number, number one is a recognition of who Jesus is, is the beginning of change. Point number two is obedience is the evidence of true faith. Obedience is the evidence of true faith. And there's two words in verse 14 that I want you to underline there in your Bible. The first one is saw. So when he saw them. The second word I want you to underline is the word as. So when he saw them, underline that, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. A couple of points I'll make here. Jesus has a practice of seeing people. And I would challenge you that we as his followers need to be better at seeing people. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Then behold, when they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, when Jesus saw their faith, 
he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And of course, if you know the rest of that passage, Jesus also tells him, because he was questioned, uh, at least in their hearts, by some religious leaders, Jesus said, what's, what's more difficult, to forgive somebody of their sins or to tell them to take up their bed and walk? And he said, just so you'll know who the Son of Man is, I'll tell you, go ahead and take up your bed and walk. And the man took up his bed and left. But notice it in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus saw their faith. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. There again also in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36, the Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus had a practice of seeing people. He saw people. He understood the situation that they were in. They were noticed by Jesus. Here in Luke chapter 17, the Bible says, as he saw them, or when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. I might also mention, if you study Matthew's gospel very long, in chapters uh, 8 and chapter 9, I believe four or five different times the word for touch is used. And almost every one of those times that touch is used, it's Jesus touching somebody that you shouldn't touch in that day and age. He touches a dead girl. He touches Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever. And he touches a leper there in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 down through verse 4 or 5. Jesus is touching the untouchables of his day. He sees people right where they are and he cares about them deeply. And many times he inserts himself into their lives. Jesus has a practice of seeing people, and I would submit tonight that you and I, as his followers, need to see people better than we do. But let me just get back to obedience is the true or the evidence of true faith. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, why did he say that? Well, he said that because uh, the priest had to declare you as clean after you have been diagnosed with leprosy. Now, there were many different forms. Uh, We would probably not um, put them all under what is today known as leprosy. Uh, We we today, with our medical advances, we might say that, well, this was, you know, this kind of skin condition, this is this kind of skin skin condition. But in that day and time, leprosy was kind of this umbrella disease of the skin. And so when you had any sort of open sores... Uh, many times they would they would ooze and bleed. It was a very uh, uncomfortable disease, but it was, uh, as far as culture goes, it was a disease that caused you to have to leave your family and move outside of town. Because if you were leprous, uh, anything you touched could infect someone else. So they put you in a leper colony. And many people... Uh, Leprosy causes you to lose uh, the skin, begins to decay and die. And so you would lose fingers, limbs. It's, an, it's a horrific disease. So you would go to a leper colony and you would be with other lepers. Now, I just want you to think about this. As far as we have come with medical advance 
think about how careful we are with the spread of disease. And now we're going to take diseased people who may or may not all have the same thing and we're going to put them all together in one area. What's the likelihood of disease spreading in that scenario? Well, it's, it's high. So here are these ten men who are all leprous, and this is the thing that they ask, have mercy on us, and Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. Why? Well, because if you clearly are clean, the disease is gone, you go to the priest, and the priest examines you and says, yes, you, and then you're pronounced clean, and you can be issued back into society. You can go back to your family. You can live in your house. This is a huge deal. So Jesus tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now watch what the Bible says. I told you to underline the word as. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. What a powerful word that is. Not before they went. As they went. Now this would be one of those places in Scripture that I wish that the Bible was a little bit more detailed. We kind of have to use our sanctified imaginations, but, but I, I, I often wonder when it happened. It doesn't sound like it was instantaneous. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, when did it happen? That's what I want to know. I want to know when it happened. So Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. And they were like, Okay, is it when they turn to go? Sounds to me like they walked a while. Because one of them returned. You would think that if they all got cleansed, hey guys, we got to go say thanks. I mean, if they were, you know, 20 feet away. There's something extra special about this one that returned. So here's my question. How far, how long did they walk toward the priest before their healing came? Well, he said go to the priest and nothing's happening. Maybe we should turn around. You know, we've been walking now for 20 minutes. You guys look any different? How in the world are we going to walk into the priest and go, look at me, look at me, I, I, check me, see if I'm... I, I just wonder, I wish the Bible said to me, they walked for a half mile, they had a discussion about it, and nothing had happened, and two of them defected. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know that. I sure wish I did. What a powerful little word. As they went, did it happen gradually? Were they walking along go, you know, I'm starting to look a little better here. I, you know, might have been that lotion I used, but I mean, I'm starting to, or did it happen like all at once and they were all healed at the same time? Wouldn't you like to know that? Wouldn't you like to know if it's just all of a sudden, hey, hey, you, look at your hands. Do yours look like? Mine, I mean, I, I'm just, in my mind, I'm wondering what happened, and then all of a sudden, one of them peels off. But you know, they would not have walked off if they didn't believe. And this is an interesting thought to me. 
that obedience is the evidence of true faith. They believed. All ten of them believed. All ten of them believed the word of Jesus and they acted upon that faith. Now that is interesting to note. James said it like this, faith without works is dead. There is an obedience that comes with following Jesus. We strive to do what Jesus tells us to do. Evidently, from Jesus' comment later on, all ten of them, in fact, were cleansed. Verse 17, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? All ten of them believed. All ten of them acted on their faith. But what is remarkable about this is that only one turned around. So you could be believing and you can be obedient and lack a grateful heart. And I wonder if maybe that's me some days. I believe, I try to be obedient, but I fail to be thankful for all that I have. Listen, these guys did nothing to deserve cleansing. They did nothing to bring about their cleansing. Jesus granted their cleansing as a merciful act. And only one of them turned around. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So number three, Jesus deserves... A grateful heart. Jesus deserves a grateful heart. Only one of the ten, upon realizing that he was healed from leprosy, returned to give thanks. So then Jesus asks about the other nine. Now, note here that Jesus didn't ask about the other nine because he did not understand. Jesus is not asking because he doesn't know the answer. That's not why Jesus is asking the question. He's asking the question because he wants this guy to think about the answer. Jesus knows everything. There's no question about that. He asks a question to communicate what is obvious. And what is obvious in this case is that Jesus deserves a grateful heart. That's what's being communicated by the question. It's not that he's seeking an answer. It's that he's trying to communicate that he deserves our thankfulness for what he does in our lives. So this man did it right. Verse 16, he turns around, he comes back, he fell on his face with a loud voice, he glorifies God. The Bible even tells us he's a Samaritan. He's one that is ethnically different than Jesus, but he understands what God has done and he runs back to Jesus to say thanks. So I learned here that the grateful heart has certain characteristics. Let me list five of them for you. Number one, there is a recognition that the circumstances are beyond his or her ability to change. There is born in us, there is birthed in us, if you will, a grateful heart when we recognize that the circumstances are beyond our ability to change. Number two, there is a rightful posture while giving thanks. There is a rightful posture when giving thanks. This man fell on his face at the feet of Jesus 
to say thank you. This is a vulnerable position. This is the position that is not arrogant. It is not prideful. It is not stiff-necked. This is a very vulnerable position. This is me saying, I could not do anything for myself, and without your help, I would still be the way that I was. Number two, a rightful posture while giving thanks. Number three, there is a returning to the source of the change. There is a returning to the source of the change. Who brought about the change? Number four, the recognition of the one who wrought the change. And it is a vocal recognition of the one who wrought the change. And if I could just pause right here, I wonder sometimes if we're vocal enough about the one who wrought the spiritual change in our life. There is a vocal nature to this thankful heart. Let me just say what God's done in my life. Let me just take a minute and tell you what God's done for me. How often is it that our first inclination is to make a public statement about all that God has done on my behalf? And fifthly, there is a rejoicing in the one who brought the change. He fell out on his face, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. I love what verse 15 says. With a loud voice, he glorified God. This is a man who is not ashamed. This is a man whose joy over the change that was brought into his life is willing to let anybody know what this man Jesus has done on his behalf. You know, the Bible seems to teach, though, it's not just the big things that we should be thankful for. It's easy to be thankful for the big things. You know, that that big healing that came. You know, God coming through in a really big way, a surprising way. When you get the news that you didn't expect to get, those are the things. I just want to say thanks to God for doing this. Paul says in Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible teaches us that we ought to be grateful for the smallest things. I remember the days when I would go to the gas pump and I would put five or six dollars in. Because five or six dollars is what we had. Anybody else ever been there? And I was filling up with gas the other day and I didn't give it a second thought that I clicked it on and I was, you know, throwing out the trash that was in my car and I didn't give another thought that I'm going to fill up with gas and, and it hit me all of a sudden. There were days when we didn't have the money to fill up our tank with gas. Thanks, Lord. We sit down at our dinner table sometimes and there is an abundance of food. 
enough that we get up the next morning and Elijah and I will finish it off before the girls get out of bed, you see. <laughs> and you complain about, boy, there's nothing to eat. Now the refrigerator is just jam-packed with leftovers. We don't want leftovers, right? And I'm standing there, I'm looking in the cupboard, and I'm like, do we have anything to eat in this house? And every shelf is full. And then the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. The other day I was trying to watch a TV program. And my six-year-old was reading a book. And I just looked at her. Thank you, Lord. Our house is rarely quiet. It's usually chaos and war, to be frank with you. With four kids, it can be chaos and war. And, and when there's war, there's also alliances. And there's also betrayal of the alliance. And mom and dad's frustration level is... And this afternoon I was sitting quietly and, and I was missing the war, chaos, and betrayal that happens. Thank you, Lord. It's amazing when you think, I did not wake up this morning and tell my heart to beat. It just does. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me another day. There's breath in my lungs right now. And I get to enjoy you and my family. And Thank you, Lord. Paul said, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These guys were miraculously healed. And only one came back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ for Jesus for you. Has anybody ever said to you, I just wish I knew what God's will was? Every time, as a pastor, every time somebody said, I just wish I knew what the will of God was. I said, you know, he tells us right there in his word what the will of God is. Giving thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> we don't want to hear that. That's not what we mean. We should be thankful in the big things and be thankful in the little things, the things that we do not deserve, but God in His grace grants it upon our lives. But not only those things, then Paul tells us in First Thessalonians, be thankful in all circumstances. Just like we talked about this morning, the good days, the hard days, the bad days. Give thanks to God because He deserves our thankfulness. So what is our response? Has God changed you? 
Do you know how lost you were before he found you? Do you know how dire the circumstances are when you are outside of Christ Jesus? What has God accomplished in your life? What has God granted you that you never deserved? What has God given to you that you never even asked for? And oh, by the way, the Bible answers every one of those questions. It says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. God was preparing a gift for us before we were ever born. And He granted us the gift of His Son who died in our place on the cross. Greater than leprosy is the spiritual death that comes because of sin. And the question is, how long have we gone since saying thank you for what God did for us in Christ at the cross? Do those around us know who changed us? Who redeemed us? Who saved us? Have we glorified God for what He has done and what only He could do? Have you said thanks to someone else? Is your gratefulness evident to those that are around you? I was... I really was kidding earlier today when I said Michelle and I have been married for 17 years last August. It's the happiest 15 years of my life. (laughs) I really was kidding. You know, God grants us the gift of a spouse. And... um, I'm pretty grateful for that. Anybody in here been married at least 17 years? Anybody? At least 17 years? All your life. Feels like it some days. Amen. No. But you know, sometimes when you've been married a long time, kind of get over that first love, don't you? 52 years. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I did tell someone earlier this, today after services, Michelle and I never really considered divorce, but murder was an option. Um, <laughs> that's not true. But you know, you, you remember when you're, you're first together and you got butterflies and you're nervous and stuff like that, and then you get married and you live together for many years and it's like, hey, good morning. It's like, brush your teeth first, please. <laughs> I love you, but not that much. You know, then you get older and, and the, you stop buying the flowers and the stuff like that and it's more like, would you like a blender? I mean, what, what, what's appropriate? Somebody said they got a diet book for Christmas. I thought... That would not be sweet. Let me tell you what happens with our relationship with Jesus too. Sometimes the farther we get from the moment that he rescued us, the more callous we get to him. The further we get from that moment where we recognized 
the nature of our sin problem and the fact that we can't do anything about the fact that we are broken, lost sinners. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. There's no amount of trying and doing better that's going to make God happy with us. That moment where we realize that Jesus is our only hope. And we fall at His feet. We beg Him for mercy. And we ask Him to save us. And we are so grateful that moment that He... He delivers us out of hell and into heaven, if you will. So He changes our eternal destination. He cleanses us completely. And we are so grateful. And we're so in love with Jesus. And then you just fast forward down the years and everything happens in life. And we just get kind of calloused. And maybe, just maybe, we need to remember what He did. Recognize who He was. And say thank you. Maybe just one more time. Thank you, God, for healing me of a disease much worse than leprosy, the disease of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for doing what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you. So we're going to close tonight this way. Maybe tonight you need to say thank you for what he's done. Maybe someone in your life you need to say thanks to and exhibit a grateful heart. So I want to challenge you this week to remember what Christ did on our behalf at the cross and return to him and give thanks. Then I also want to challenge you to look around you this week. And let that gratefulness spill over into the people around us. Maybe somebody opens the door for you. Maybe someone prepares a meal. Thank you. Thanks for doing that. Make it specific. Thanks for taking the time to do that. I appreciate you. I have found in my life that when I struggle being grateful to Jesus for what he's done, I also struggle being thankful for what others do for me. Somehow in my life, they go hand in hand. Let me pray with you. God, I just want to pause right now and say thank you. Lord, like every other human born on the face of this earth, I sinned against you. And I was in need of a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me in my place on the cross to shed his blood that I might be forgiven of my sins. Thank you, God, for giving me a measure of faith that I would believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. And God, I thank you tonight for all that you have given into my life that I didn't deserve. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the church where we worship. I thank you for the breath in my lungs, the food in my belly. I thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for a job that provides all the little things, God, that 
it's so easy to forget. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your presence in my life. Father, we're going to pause tonight so that we can say thanks. Lord, I pray that tonight in this room you will help us remember what you have accomplished for us on the cross. And Lord, I just pray that you'd bring to mind this week as we encounter people that we should be grateful. And we should shine that light as we have opportunity and as it as you give us the remembrance that someone has blessed our life, served us, encouraged us. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just say, maybe somebody in this room needs to hear you say thanks. So as we sing in just a moment, you want to walk to somebody and say, I just want to say thank you do that. Be grateful. Find ways to be grateful. Maybe tonight you need to go back to God and say, God, I want to say thank you for what you've done for me. God, use this time to fix our eyes on you. I pray in Jesus' name.